Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, Jim and I interview Tom and Jan Shaper. The Shapers have been lifelong Catholics, dedicated to living out their faith and actively serving their parish. Tom and Jan have been married for the past 26 years and have four children. It's with the birth of their fourth child, Peter, who you will get to know as the miracle baby, that we pick up our dialogue with Tom and Jan. The Shapers were facing significant challenges with the birth of their son. However, their incredible faith carries them calmly throughout the journey. Let's listen in. Peter was a high-risk pregnancy, you know, just because I was I was 44 when Peter was born, and I developed gestational diabetes with him. So when you have that complication in a pregnancy, most of those children are delivered early. The mother is induced and the child is delivered early because the babies are usually pretty big because of the diabetes. So... And also, when you have a high-risk pregnancy, you have more ultrasounds than normal. So I was having ultrasounds every couple of weeks to make sure that he was okay, and and everything always looked fine. Nothing was out of sync. They didn't expect, expected everything to just go beautifully. And it did, because it was in God's plan. <laughs> That's why it ended up the way it did. <laughs> Amen. So, Yes. So Peter was actually due on, I think it was November 18th. At my prior appointment with my OB, he said, we're going to put you in a week early and induce you because the baby's going to be large. So we went into the hospital at like eight o'clock that morning and they they started the Pitocin to, to induce my labor and it wasn't progressing very quickly, not as quickly as he wanted. He was anticipating a quick delivery because Emily, my third child, was delivered in less than eight hours. And the time is almost cut in half for each. You know, it depends on the child, of course. But that's anticipated that it would be less than eight hours. So right. he was thinking we would be done by noon. <laughs> oh, wow. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when you induce labor, it's it's nice because you can plan everything out. You don't have to, like get up in the middle of the night and I'll run to the hospital. So it's just like you could say, all right, let's do it at eight, eight o'clock and everything's going to be real easy. And, and actually everything was working just perfectly. So Yeah, we had a friend who picked up our children from school that afternoon there. The two oldest ones went to St. Alban Row and our daughter was in preschool. Our friend Amy picked up the two older boys from school and she was going to take care of them until Tom came home after Peter was born. Although we didn't know it was Peter because we didn't, we chose not to know the gender of our child. So, so we were, we were in the room just knowing that our, our children were taken care of and we were, I was laying there laboring and it wasn't bad and, and I wasn't progressing enough. So the, the Dr. LaPointe, my OB came in and helped things along a little bit and labor started to progress pretty quickly after that labor was getting much more intense so it was well past noon i think it was 
think it was three o'clock. They had given me an epidural. And so Tom and I were praying the rosary together. We decided to pray the rosary before the birth. We wanted to just prepare for it. And it seemed to me that everything was just going perfect. And in fact, <laughs> uh, one of the nurses came in and checked her out and everything was just wonderful. She got her epidural block. It's in the morning. We're just relaxing, enjoying the moment. And just seemed like everything was just working out just beautifully. So I, I mentioned to the nurse, I said, this is going to be the easiest pregnancy yet. And she turned around and looked at me like, you didn't just say that. That's a setup right there. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so we're praying the rosary. And then all of a sudden, we hear beep, 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 alarms going off. And the nurses running down the hall, two of them run in and start checking monitors, the wires frantically moving around. They're looking at the monitors. They look like they had worried faces and they're turning Jan from side to side, pressing on her belly, trying to see what the problem is. The oxygen, her oxygen levels uh, getting to the baby were uh, reducing and the heart rate was going down. Oh, wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. So So what were your thoughts at the time? Did you, uh, you're obviously getting anxious. Your idyllic situation has taken a sudden turn well, i felt like it was just a glitch they'll figure it out and it'll go back to normal honestly i don't remember what i was thinking because that part of it is clouded for me because what comes next was very prominent <laughs> all right well let's move on so, to that <laughs> they actually um, spent a minute i guess at least more than a minute trying to get oxygen to the baby for some reason the oxygen levels were going down and the heart rate was going down lower and lower yeah and they were they were pushing on my stomach. They just thought maybe he was laying on the umbilical cord or something. And so I was, you know, I had to get up on my hands and knees and change positions, all positions, and nothing was working. So I think the nurses were counting down the seconds, wondering, you know, like, how long can this baby go you know, mm-hmm. with this heart rate? What was happening also is that he was very active, so he moved around a lot, so they couldn't really keep a good track of his heart rate. And so they had to put an internal monitor on the top of his head. It goes in the in the baby's mm-hmm. skull and so you know in the skin. And so they put the internal monitor on and were checking him, and his heart rate kept going down. And so what they did was that they called for help. And by this time, a, a baby's heart rate should be between 130 and 160 beats a minute. And by this time, his heart rate was down in the 40s. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. So when, yeah, he was dying. And so they checked me again. And then what they realized is that my placenta had abrupted. So half of my placenta had pulled off of the uterus. So he wasn't getting enough oxygen and blood. He was getting some, but he wasn't getting enough. So they called a stat and everybody came running in. And they, um, it's kind of a blur to me. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a blur to me. Tom saw it from the outside. I just know that they unhooked everything, started pushing more medication in for my epidural and whisked me out of the room. And I knew something was happening with Peter. Sorry, I'm getting a little um, choked up. That's, you're fine. (laughs) I knew something was happening with Peter and all I kept saying was, please save my baby, please save my baby. And 
they had the funny thing is they had just put new carpeting in the hallway in the hospital and we were the room at the furthest away from oh, the operating room so they were running and and everybody pulling and pushing the gurney into the operating room yeah they, they ran full speed into. down the hallway and you know i had to go grab whatever belongings we had and so i'm trying to catch up to them but i could it, it seemed like a a scene out of the show er you know like this kind of stuff doesn't normally happen but they're running top speed yelling stuff and get ready get things ready and they slam through the operating room doors and our doctor was already in there he was already in his scrubs because we had planned to do the delivery so he figured well i'll be ready i'll have my scrubs on and, and uh, they called him and he just showed up and immediately they you know, they they worked really fast and they transferred her onto the bed and got her prepped which is like 30 seconds prepped her for surgery and they started operating immediately wow well now you already had an epidural and so I did. like you were very fortunate that a lot of things were already in place absolutely not fortunate <laughs> yeah. it was planned that way amen <laughs> and the reason i say that jim is because Peter could not have survived any other way. It seems like it's going to be a tragedy. But after Peter was born, they showed me his umbilical cord. And he had a double knot in his umbilical cord. Not oh two, knots, one, two knots. One knot that Which was shortened doubled. It. Oh it my shortened gosh. it. So if he would have been born naturally, yeah. he would have died in the birth canal. So there was no possible there was no other possible way for him to be born and survive than the way it happened. And God had that all planned out. He knew that. Right. That's why that's why it happened the way it did. That's amazing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it is. The the yeah. vision the, the uh, visual that I had was I came into the uh, operating room. They had already put her on the table. The doctor says, "Do you feel this?" and he's, you know, poking around in her stomach. She says, "No." And so he just cuts right open and and pulls the baby out but here i'm looking at my wife and this table that they that they put her on the operating room table i've never seen this but they have these planks that attach to the sides that they put her arms on so that the arms are straight out to the side and i'm looking at my wife and she looks like she's on a crucifix <laughs> she's oh the corpus goodness. she's bloody and she's giving life to the world and i'm like wow what an image! I've never seen. You know, I've never. You don't often get it to get to go into an operating room with someone being operated on. But I didn't know they had these things that make their arms stretch straight out. It was a scene. I was just wow. And you're recognizing that right at the moment, Tom. Yeah, I was just like, wow, this is like a crucifix, and she's bleeding and giving life to the world. Well, that's it's it's beautiful how God is acting. It seems like it's going to be idyllic. I mean, you have you're praying the rosary, and you know angels are singing around you, and suddenly you enter into this moment of suffering. <laughs> and but then you <laughs> and come life out of is it. Given yes, life comes forth from that, and and now things are perfect, right? No. <laughs> you would hope that they would be perfect, <laughs> but uh, no, they were not. So Peter's APCAR score was actually very good 
after his birth, which was surprising. But I think it's because from the time they called the stat till the time he was born, with everything that happened was only five minutes. Oh, wow. And I mean, yeah, they, they had, had the him. baby out in five minutes. Yeah. But when they were checking him, they found that he had a heart murmur. And so they took him to the NICU. I don't remember which doctor came in and, and told me about it, but they said for most babies that have a heart murmur, it closes. I guess maybe it was his pediatrician told me it closes within a couple of days. It'll probably be, it'll probably close before he leaves the hospital. And what I mean by close is it's a little hole somewhere in the heart. Right. Between the chambers. And then of it, the- yeah. And it, and it, needs to close so they said it would but his blood pressure was elevated and his heart rate was still elevated from the birth and so i was recovering after the birth and time was passing and i still hadn't had a chance to see him because i i didn't get to see him they whisked him off after he was born i saw the umbilical cord but i didn't see him they were and still so, worried that he may have brain damage or, or some severe problems because of lack of yeah blood. he had process and apparently he had swallowed some amniotic fluid and some blood and so they were taking care of him obviously and so see our baby no and finally you know i kept asking can i please see my baby and they're like no we're afraid that if we you know bring him in here because i wanted to nurse him that it might elevate his heart rate and it's already up and and so we need to wait a while and i was getting honestly i was getting uh, upset that I couldn't see him. I mean, I understood they had to take care of him, but I just wanted to see him. Right. And so after five hours, a nurse that we know, and Carlo, <laughs> came in and I said, can you please bring Peter to me so that I can see him? Because I haven't seen him yet. And so I don't know what string she pulled, but she brought Peter in. Oh. <laughs> and... So I held him up close to me, and they were still monitoring him. And, you know, God creates such a strong bond between a mother and their child from the moment that child is conceived, because you love that child from the moment that you know you're pregnant. And then you feel the child throughout the whole pregnancy, and the child is just such a part of you. And so Peter was just such a part of me, and so when... I took him and I held him to my chest, his heart rate went down. All their fears oh, <laughs> were wow. like, you know, he just needed me. Right. He just needed his mother and because you have bright lights and everything going on. Oh, that's beautiful. And then the next day I was able to take him and nurse him and I could keep him. He still had to be in the NICU for a while, but it seemed like everything was fine. Do you want to tell him about the kids? At yes. The, at the time of the birth? Amy Carapella had picked our kids up from school, the two boys up from school, and they got out at 310. She said to them, would you like to go over to the Adoration Chapel and pray for your your brother's birth and for your mom and dad? And they said, yes, let's go. And so Amy took them over to the Adoration Chapel, and they got over there at 315. Peter was born at 320. Oh wow! So at three at three fifteen, we were being rushed. They called the stat. We were being rushed down the hall, and Amy wrote me a little note afterwards and told me what was going on. She said they went into the chapel, and Ryan started out with a hail mary, 
And then Andrew led the Glory Be and prayed for Peter's safe arrival and for mom to have as little pain as possible and to dad and for dad to have peace. And then they approached the statue of the Blessed Virgin and St. Joseph with the baby Jesus, and they blessed themselves and venerated the statues, and they bowed to the Blessed Sacrament. They prayed. Ryan wanted to pray a Hail Mary again, and then Andrew wanted to pray in Our Father for Peter and for Dad and for the Holy Spirit and for God the Father and for Jesus. And, you know, I mean, they're only <laughs> six and seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> All the time, but, uh, <laughs> the exact time she was giving birth. That's amazing. The exact time. It, it is amazing because they left at three thirty and everything was gone. So from the time from the time they got to the chapel was when they called the stat. So the time they left is when everything happened that they were in prayer for their brother during the three o'clock hour. Yeah, yeah, the hour That's of mercy. Awesome. Yes. Yep. So like Moses <laughs> standing on top of the mountain with his hands raised, your boys. Yeah. With Amy. We're holding up. Are, are lifting you up before the Lord. That's right. That's a great that's a great story. Yeah. Well, yeah. especially when you add in the visual that Tom described earlier about your arms extended and you giving life. Mm-hmm. When you really wrap both sides of that story together, it's easy to understand now how he is the miracle baby. <laughs> he is. Yeah, he is. But there's more miracles to but there's, come. But wait, there's more. This is like one of those <laughs> commercials on television. But wait, there's more. This is a three-part yeah. series. So. <laughs> well, Jan, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat here. So, Okay, so we leave the hospital, and Peter's heart murmur is not – it hit the hole in his heart had not closed. And so he had to see a cardiologist. And so we saw a cardiologist for – a long time, and he we kept anticipating that the hole in his heart would close, and they kept monitoring the murmur, and they kept monitoring his weight, and he wasn't gaining weight. I think from the time he was born till he was six months old is when he had his heart surgery. He only gained maybe a pound and a half, two pounds, and he was he was not a large baby. He was supposed to be a large baby because of the gestational diabetes, but he was the smallest. He was only six pounds, seven ounces. Oh, man. And he was supposed to be much larger. Anyway, he just he just wasn't gaining weight because all of his calories were going to keeping his heart beating. But he fell off the growth scale. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> wow. He didn't even register. <laughs> that, that's, that is saying something. I've had some small kids, but that is that's pretty low. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button-downs, a really nice quarter-zip fleece. They're stylish, and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at God's brand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. At one point in time, his cardiologist said, well, we need to make a choice now because I think if we go in and we 
close the hole in his heart, he will start to grow. Tom and I talked about it, and we decided, okay, we would have the surgery. Dr. Huddleston is the pediatric heart surgeon at Children's Hospital, and so they called me, and they wanted to set up the surgery. And they said, but unfortunately, Dr. Huddleston is so backed up that he will not be able to do the surgery for another two months. And I said, well, the reason we're doing the surgery is because he's not growing. I don't want him to not be growing very much for another two months. What, what are my options? And the nurse said, well, Dr. Huddleston has a, a doctor that he trained who is from Texas that he brought up here to help him with his surgeries because he had so many. His name is Dr. Becker. He said he could do it at the end of May. And this was only... This was only not even a month out. And I said, well, then I'm going to go with Dr. Becker because the reason we're doing this is so that he can start to grow. And she said, okay, so we scheduled the surgery. His surgery was scheduled for May 26, 2004, so he was six months old. And we went in the night before, and he had to have some tests done. And one of the tests that he needed to have done was a sedated echocardiogram because they he was an even though he you know he didn't gain a lot of weight and maybe this is why he didn't too is because he was an he was an active child he moved a lot so he they had to sedate him for this echocardiogram well one dose of the medicine they give him is what sedates a child his size and it didn't work <laughs> he was still oh wow <laughs> moving around and active and just, you know, whatever. So they, they kept giving him small doses in addition to the to the full dose. And so it ended up being two full doses of, oh. of the medication, enough to get him sedated so they could do the echocardiogram. And when they did it, they said, all right, we see the hole in his heart, but we don't understand why this is causing so much problem. It is so small, but... Obviously, something's going on, so we just need to do the surgeries. That night, uh, we were in the room with him the night before surgery, and Father Jim Gray was the chaplain at Children's Hospital, and he came in to give Peter the anointing of the sick, the sacrament of anointing of the sick. So Father Gray came in, and we were all sitting there, and we had just started the sacrament when Dr. Becker walked in. Father Gray said, oh, I know you need to to check him or whatever. I can come back later and do this. And Dr. Becker said, no, that's okay. I will wait. He stayed in the room, and he celebrated the sacrament of the anointing of the sick with us. And I was like, who is this doctor? That's (laughs) beautiful. And he made the sign of the cross. He blessed himself. And I was like, oh, praise God, we have a Catholic doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw his four-way medal that he wore around his neck. And I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. I feel so much better now. Yeah. We we finished the, the sacrament. We were talking with Dr. Becker. And one of the things that he said to us is, I'm very thankful that you chose to do this surgery when your child is young. And I thought, okay, (laughs) why is that? And he said, because I am going to do a surgery on a three-year-old child. I am doing a lung transplant because the hole in his heart was not addressed early enough. Oh, wow. You know, I never knew. I thought 
I didn't really understand the ramifications of having a hole in your heart. Peter's was between his ventricles, so he had a, a ventricular septal defect in the wall between the ventricles. There was a hole. Okay. So I was like, okay, Lord, thank you <laughs> again for bringing us to this decision early in Peter's life. Right, because if he if he begins to thrive and he's uh, doing fine, then it, and it's doing damage you're not aware of. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Better for it to be this way, for sure. So Peter was scheduled for surgery at seven thirty in the morning, the next morning on the on the twenty sixth. We took him down to a waiting room, I guess, at seven thirty, and we said our goodbyes to him. And the anesthesiologist took him and took him back into the room and and was prepping him for surgery. The night before, when we were talking with Dr. Becker, I said to him, would you be willing to pray with us before Peter's surgery? And he said, yes, I would. I said, okay. And he said, I will come in before the surgery, wherever you are, and we will pray together. I said, that would be great. We handed Peter over to the anesthesiologist, and then the nurse escorted us to a private waiting room. And the surgery was supposed to start at, I think, 9 o'clock. And 9 o'clock came and went, and Dr. Becker never came. And I was like, oh, he forgot. Right. And so Tom and I prayed anyway. We just prayed together out loud. And then, like, five minutes when we were finished, Dr. Becker walks in. Oh, Wow. Like, okay, well, we're praying again. <laughs> we're going to do this again. So we sat down and we prayed. And I prayed that. Held hands together. Yeah, nice. we all held hands. And I praised God. I, I thanked him for the gifts and the talent and the knowledge and the skills of all the doctors and nurses and technicians in the operating room with Peter. I asked that the Lord would send legions of angels throughout the operating room to protect the equipment and to help all the medical staff make good decisions for Peter's safety and prayed for the Lord to just be present during that whole surgery and to guide their hands and to guide the whole thing so that he could come out a vibrant child. We thank Dr. Becker for praying with us and he went back and he performed the surgery. The surgery is going to take two hours, and they they actually stopped the baby's heart. They put him on a heart and lung machine, a pump that, that circulates the blood in his body and, and breathes for him while they work on the heart. So the nurse came out and gave us an update and said everything was going well. And then when it was over, Dr. Becker came and talked to us. And he said, when I was in there and I first went in and looked in his heart, I couldn't understand why this child wasn't growing, why he was having problems. He said, and then I lifted up the tricuspid valve and we couldn't see it on the ultrasound because the valve was in the way, but the hole was much larger. Oh, man. And that is why he he was having problems. And if you know, if you, a person's heart is about the size of their fist. So you think about the size of a six months old fist. And he told us that he had to put a patch the size of a quarter on the hole. Mm -hmm. So wow. it was a pretty significant hole. Big hole, yeah. Between Boy. his, uh, between his ventricles. Well, and he's only seven so, or eight pounds going into the procedure, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. The, the important thing to note is that during this whole operation and even leading up to it, both Jan and I had this 
deep sense of peace that there was no anxiety. Uh, definitely from my perspective and what Jan says, she felt mm-hmm. the same way that this baby is in the Lord's hands and nothing, you know, whatever happens, no matter the outcome, it's going to be for God's greater glory. And we were just had such peace, even though it seems like a very traumatic uh, situation to be in. Mm-hmm. We were at peace through the whole just all the waiting and everything we just we prayed the rosary we played prayed divine mercy chapel and we just had such peace during the whole thing and and one of the things too is that when i handed peter over to the anesthesiologist i actually in my heart and in my mind handed him over and put him in the blessed mother's arms and and asked her to take care of him so i knew as a mother that she was going to take care of peter and, and I just also felt that in my heart that he brought him through a birth, a difficult birth for a reason, that he wasn't going to not allow him to come through this. You know, that he was going to be there every step of the way. No matter what happened, it would be for the benefit of Peter and for God's glory. And so. Amen. We were actually waiting in the room, in the waiting room singing praises to God and just singing, you know, spiritual songs. And we were not nervous or anxious or anything. What a grace. What a gift for the Holy Spirit to, to shower that peace on, on you. Absolutely. In a traumatic, a, a very frightening time, and uh, to experience that fruit of his presence. So, Jan, mm-hmm. Peter comes out of the procedure, mm-hmm. and here we are 16 years Later, can you give us an update on his well-being today? Peter is very healthy. <laughs> he is the tallest in the family. He's <laughs> like five eleven now. He'll he'll be six foot or, or taller. He's uh, a muscular kid. Uh, he's involved in activities. He does marching band. He does track. He he does strength training. He's you would never know except for the scar down the middle of his chest. We certainly were going to so guess we, that he was active. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has always been an active child. <laughs> yes, indeed. There is one other thing that I, I, I think was God's divine providence is that we did not wait for Dr. Huddleston and we I accepted Dr. Becker even though I didn't know him. And when he came in the room after Peter's surgery a couple days after he said, do you know my name is Dr. Pedro Becker? Pedro is Peter in Spanish. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, I did not know that, but do you know that it is divine intervention that you were chosen as Peter's doctor? Because it was. Just like Peter's birth, it was supposed to happen that way. When he came after surgery, he said, I felt leech. I felt the angels in the operating room. And he said, every surgery should be that way. He never told me how this whole situation affected him, but I can't imagine that it didn't after being able to feel the Lord's presence in the operating room with him. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hmm. That's a beautiful story. And I, I'm so grateful that you're willing to share it with all the people who listen. But I want to close with one final question. Mm-hmm. You guys have clearly heard God in your life, and you have such faith and uh, just immense trust 
and the Spirit guides you in all of your actions. What do you recommend to people who want to hear God more clearly in their lives? Well, what I do <laughs> is I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and so for most of my days, my days are silent. I don't turn on a radio. I don't turn on a TV. I, if I'm listening to anything, I will play Truth in Life, the uh, spoken Bible uh, from an app, and I just try to listen to God in the silence of my day, because if I there's too many other things going on, I can't hear what He has to say to me, and go to Mass and take take prayer time and just be willing to not talk but to just listen. For my recommendation, I do uh, something similar. I, I start my day with prayer. So I think a daily regiment of prayer, I go to Mass every day, and spiritual reading, and then offering up my work, whatever I, whatever you do at your job, to offer it up as a gift to God and, and sanctify your work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazing Bush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazingbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.